0: So good to be with you today. How's everybody doing? Good. Having a good summer so far. It's not too bad. And uh, hope you're soaking in a lot of sun. I woke up today, I thought, is it actually August? Kind of strange, right? God has given us a good summer, though. It's really a good one. And I hope that you're soaking it in well and taking in a good amount of rest and renewal and refreshment. I just got back from Manitoba this week uh, where some of my family went with me and we visited with... Our extended family back there. We used part of our vacation time to connect with uh, the place that I grew up, and it was good to be with my mom and my sisters and other family members because we've lost my dad, if you remember that, last December. So a lot has changed, and there's a lot of things we're trying to figure out, and so I, I just appreciate your ongoing prayers for that, but it's gone well. And uh, if you've noticed, there's lots of staff been away this summer. Some here one weekend, gone the next. That's because we're really trying to soak in some great rest. After a long year and a long winter and spring with a lot going on, we're trying to rebuild in our own lives and just be refreshed by God's presence because there's an amazing fall about to start. And we're so excited uh, about that. And I'm just wondering, is everybody breathing okay? The air is okay for you? With the smoke from the forest fires Hanging in the horizon, it's permeating our lives and everything we do. We're eating, sleeping, drinking, and breathing in the smoke. It's something that I think has completely enveloped our city. We're just getting used to just living in it. And believe it or not, in some ways, that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk about living in the presence of God. So you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 63, 63. We're in our series here in the summer, looking at the Psalms for refreshment, encouragement, revitalization, and renewal. And uh, Psalm 63 is our passage today. You can also put a marker on some other passages we'll try to get to. Exodus chapter 33, um, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and uh, John chapter 14. And if we get a moment, we'll go to Hebrews chapter 9 later on, but I'll, I'll prompt you for that. Um, I want to talk to you today about what it means to live in the presence of God, to live in the density and the reality and the thickness and the tangibility of God's presence. So imagine for a moment, you remember what it was like this week, you remember that one day when the smoke was just hanging over us and it was, it was almost eerie, it felt like, am I living on a different planet? Um, I think it was 7 p.m. at night, the streetlights came on because there was so much haze in the air. And uh, that density, I think, for us can have a prophetic meaning. I I think it can remind us that the presence of God could come upon this city in a way that would change everything. So just imagine if God's presence descended upon this region in that kind of thickness, with that kind of weight, with that kind of, you know, environment around us so that we would live and work and celebrate and worship and raise our families In the presence of God. That's some of the things that we long for around here. Psalm 63 is an invitation to experience that. I want to read the psalm for us from the New King James Version. And it goes like this. "O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. Because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouths of those who speak lies shall be stopped. I want to speak to you today about what it means to live in the presence of God, to live under it and with it and through it and in it, because God has invited us to live in His presence. God has designed us to live in His presence. All throughout Scripture, this vision, this invitation, is actually given out to people as something that they can enter into. And Psalm 63 is just one of many places that you could, you could go to to find that God is actually speaking to his people, saying, I want you to live in my presence. We're hardwired for God, as one theologian put it. God has designed us for himself. He's made us for himself. And we're only fully alive when we're living in his presence when we're tuned in and dialed into the glory of his face looking towards us. But how do we live in the presence of God? How is that possible doable in busy lives? How do we actually take real steps of faith into a a place where we can encounter the living presence of God? Well, I think it begins with this. We've got to desire it. We've got to want it. And really, if we're going to be faithful to this psalm, we have to crave it. There's a desperate desire going on here in the life of David for the manifest presence of God. Verse 1, he says, oh God, you are my God. You're not just anybody's God. You're not just the God, the ultimate God. Of course, he's that. But David also says, you are my God, (laughs) and I'm calling upon you personally for me, for the needs of my own life. Early will I seek you. That is, at the first part of the day, I'm going to turn my attention and my affection to you. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So, this is David, it tells us in the inscription, living in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness of Judah, he's on the run for 15 years of his life, he's about age 15, and right up until about age 30, this is David being persecuted by King Saul. And so he has to flee from one place to the next, he's living in the wilderness when he writes Psalm 63, and there he expresses his longing for God's presence. And no doubt, you know, David's out there, and he's probably run into some dry places. You know, you ever do that when you go out camping or traveling? You go, man, this place is dry. There's no water here. Can't even have a forest fire, or uh, a campfire, I should say. Don't have a forest fire. We got enough smoke. And uh, David knows what it's like to be in a dry place, and he's thirsting for God. Um, he's hungering for God, and he knows that one drink from God's presence will be life-giving to him. Have you ever felt that thirsty in your life? Have you ever quenched uh, and desired to have uh, the the craving of your soul quenched when you're longing for God's presence? Sometimes we can really get thirsty. That happened to me this week. Um, My wife set up a a purchase of a desk from something called virage Sale. You know what that is? It's an Airdrie thing. It's not garage sale. It's virage Sale. And People sell stuff really, really cheap, and it's really good often, and uh, I needed a desk for my study at home, and so uh, someone in our church told Marianne about this desk, big old wooden kind of desk. I wanted the old wooden look, you know what I mean? And uh, so Marianne lined up this purchase, and on Wednesday, the day of the intense smoke, I went to get the desk. So I was in, in meetings here all morning, and this is at lunchtime, and I'm going out, and I thought, I need a drink of water. I don't have time for that. So one of the young guys from our church, Lucas, met me and we're, we're, we're going to this house and we're loading this desk into a truck, okay? You get the picture? And there's smoke outside and I haven't had a drink of water for a while. This desk was as big as Goliath's coffin. It's like, oh my goodness, what a desk. And it, it, it was heavy, it felt like a freezer that was full. I'm like, how are we going to do this? We took the thing apart into two pieces and... You know, Lucas and I picked it up, we went, and I went, oh, God, like, this is, this is serious. And we, we, we kind of moved it out of the house. It took like 45 minutes going, you know, step down, keep going. And I used up all my energy in the first five minutes, and the whole thing took 45. <laughs> and it's hot out. It's like 35, and there's smoke in the air. We get it loaded into the truck, and we take it over to my house, and we unload. I'm just like, Dad, I run in the house, and I guzzle three glasses of water. I'm like, oh, I feel alive again. So I know what it's like to have that feeling of being parched. I know what it's like when you're just exhausted and and you're feeling like, I need renewal, I need refreshment, I need something to change my circumstances. David is saying here, my soul is thirsting for God like that. I am desperate for a drink from God. He says, my flesh is longing for God. His body's actually tuned into God's ways. And so he senses the presence of, of the Lord in his physical life. That's something that's really important for us to understand. It's part of the way that we're made, that God wants all of us, right? Not just our hearts, not just our minds, but our bodies. And our bodies can be tuned to worship God. Psalm 84, it says, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. There's something about the way we're made physically that our physical being is actually ready to be tuned into God, and ready to receive from God, and ready to be blessed by God. And so when we're talking about the presence of God, please know this, it's not just a matter of your thought life or your emotions, it includes your whole being. Living in the presence is an experience for us, body, soul, and spirit. That's why it says in Romans 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When we get to that level, when we're offering our physical lives to God, now the Lord's got all the territory that is related to us. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. There's got to be desire even for God. And if you want to live in the presence of God, you're going to need to hunger for Him. And you know, there's been times in my life where I haven't had that. Honestly, in my life as a believer, which has been 40 years now, I've been a believer. For 40 years, I have seen times when I've had to call out to God and say, God, I don't even have a desire for you. I need you to put that in me. And guess what? Every time I've asked for that, God has awakened my heart, my spirit. He's touched me. He's put a new instinct in my, in my soul, and I've begun to desire Him. I've had to be honest with God at times and say, I don't have it. Isn't God humble? Think about that. God, God who made us to worship Him, He'll even help us worship Him. You know, He's not like, hey, you know, get it together here. He's saying, I just want you in my presence. I'll help you. I'll prompt you. I'll pour my goodness upon you. But you've got to turn to me, and then I'll refresh you and renew you. But there's got to be some desire. Larry Sparks in his book, Ask for the Rain. Um, says this. He says, there is no revival without a divine discontentment. True statement. Heaven is ready and waiting. God has sovereignly chosen to make the Holy Spirit and his fullness available to whosoever. The problem is that many believers are living beneath their inheritance in Christ. Fortunately, there is a discontentment brewing among Jesus's followers. And this whole book is devoted, there's several authors in it, into Receiving Your Inheritance of Revival and the Outpouring. Great book. Worth your getting a hold of and reading this summer. There's got to be some desire. There's even got to be some discontentment. There's got to be an ache in your heart if you want to walk in the presence of God. you got to want him because God's like, do you want me? Because I want you, but if you don't want me, then I'll just find other people who will have an appetite for me. We have to have a desire for God. Let's talk about his presence for a moment, though. In this book that I just mentioned to you, there's a chapter in there from a guy named Bill Johnson, and he gives some indicators of the ways that God's presence is revealed, and they're all biblically true, and I want to share them with you. There's at least five distinct measures of God's presence that he releases in in this world. One of them is the omnipresence of God. In other words, God is everywhere. Psalm 139. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the depths, you're there. God is everywhere, right? He's he's with us all the time, whether we acknowledge him or not. He's with us when we go camping. He's with us when we're in a wedding ceremony. He's with us when we're working. He's with us when we're traveling. He's with us when we're at home in our own bedrooms. That's his omnipresence. Then there's his indwelling presence. This is the the, the birth of the new believer, right? This is, the, this is the regeneration moment. When we receive Christ into our lives, the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes up residence there, inside of us. And so we now have this indwelling, internal presence of God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit settling down and being at home in your life. Then there's the gathering presence of God. When we come together in the name of Jesus... Uh, it tells us in the scriptures, Jesus said, Matthew 18, 20, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So he's really here for sure, right? Because he said that. I- I'm with you. I- I- when you gather in my name, I- I'm there. That's the gathering presence. And then there's the worshiping presence. Psalm 22, verse 3, it says, God inhabits the praises of his people. Another translation, God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. That something happens, some dimension of his presence is released upon us when we're worshiping him. And then the fifth one is the manifest presence. This is when the tangible, noticeable presence of God is poured out upon people and and it happens in certain places at certain times, like in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. We'll look at that later when the, the presence of God came into the temple. And then I'll just highlight Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, when they were all together in one place, right, the Spirit of God came upon the people. He invaded the room, and there was fire, and they spoke in a spiritual language, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That was an encounter with the manifest presence of God. Now, here's the thing. As a believer, you can encounter all five of those. Isn't that great? What an invitation. If you want to know God more deeply, He has has made it possible for you and for me to encounter Him in lots of different ways. And if you look at all the great revivals and awakenings and moves of God and the men and women who were in those movements, they all had one thing in common. Are you ready for it? They desired it, they desired God. They were hungry for God, thirsty for God, desperate for God. And they were willing to abandon themselves and seek his face for as long as it took until he revealed his glory and his power in a special way. John Lake was one of the people that experienced God in a profound way. And I'll just share a little story about John Lake from this book. John Lake was uh, a guy who lived in the 1900s. He was a real estate agent in Chicago, making, back then, about $150,000 a year in about 1906. Do the math. He's a millionaire. And uh, as a layman for 10 years, he was preaching and he was involved in revival services. And then after that, he got a call to be a missionary to South Africa. So he went to South Africa with his wife and family. In 18 months, under his leadership, they planted 100 churches. After five years of being in South Africa, And he left and came back to North America. He left behind 1,250 pastors, preachers, 625 churches, over 100,000 converts, and countless testimonies of healing. And there's about 100,000 healings that were mentioned about him. When he came back to North America and he settled in Spokane, he set up these healing rooms. This is John G. Lake. You've heard of him probably. And, in those, and through those healing rooms, there were recorded over 100,000 healings in the early 1900s. So much so that um, the government investigated this, the U.S. government, and they gave a statement saying this, Reverend Lake, through his divine healing, has made Spokane the healthiest city in the world, according to United States statistics. This really happened. The presence of God came on that city in a special way. John G. Lake got there because he was hungry, he was desperate, and he tells about his journey in this area and his longings for God, and this is one of his stories, it goes like this, he says, I ministered for 10 years in the power of God, hundreds and hundreds of people were healed by the power of God during this 10 years, and I could feel the conscious flow of the Holy Spirit through my soul and my hands. But at the end of the 10 years, I believe I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. There was such a hunger for God that as I left my offices in Chicago and walked down the street, my soul would break out and I would cry, Oh God! I've had people stop and look at me and wonder. It was the yearning passion of my soul asking for God in a greater measure than I ever knew. And he goes on to tell a story here and he spent nine months asking God for the same filling of the Spirit That was upon the early disciples in Acts two. After nine months of praying and fasting, he's with a man. um, They're they're praying for healing for a woman at her house. She has rheumatoid arthritis and she's in a wheelchair. So he says one afternoon, a friend invited me to come and visit with him and pray for her. He, He sat in the corner, John Lake. He's sitting over here in a chair, and suddenly he was aware of the presence of God surrounding him, and he heard the Lord say, "I have heard your prayers, I have seen your tears." You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. He says, at that moment, what felt like volts of electricity began to surge through my body. He stretched out his hand to the woman who was in the chair. The guy beside the woman fell on the floor, and the woman stood up and was healed. That's the presence of God. Nine months of longing, desire, fasting, praying, waiting, submitting, surrendering. If you look at all the great revivals, you'll hear, you'll hear many stories like this. People wanted God in a way that they said, I can't live without God. And when he shows up, things change. By the way, you know, in four weeks we're having this thing called revival night. Oh, you hope that you'll come. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God for the descent of his presence upon our city. We're going to believe him for an outpouring of his spirit that we've not yet seen. We're going to cry out to him in prayer for that. David says in verse 2, I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. He's referring to a time in his life when he, no doubt, went down to this place called the tabernacle. Do you know what the tabernacle is? It's not the temple. The tabernacle was that portable worship place that they moved around. And at this point in in Israel's history, we know that it was located in a little village called Kiriath-Jerim. And it talks about that in 1 Samuel. The tabernacle's there. The Philistines got rid of it. They didn't know what to do with it. It was kind of messing up their lives. So uh, it settled in Kiriath-Jerim. And again, David wrote this psalm when he was on the run, so he's not yet the king. And so between the ages of 15 and 30, he's referring to a time in his life when he had a God encounter. It could have been this. David, as a young boy was taken by his father Jesse down to the tabernacle with his brothers, and they went and worshipped God in Kiriath-Jerim at the tabernacle. And maybe David went into that outer court temple tabernacle area, and he saw something. And what he saw was the manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory, filling the whole tabernacle. He's referring back to some kind of moment like that. He's saying, I have seen you. In the sanctuary, I have seen your power and your glory. And this changed his life. David saw the glory of God. He saw it as a young man, as a a teenager, as a young adult. Boy, is that ever important. Is that ever important for all of our young men and women in our church and our teenagers? Is it ever important for them to encounter the presence of God? Because they're not going to follow our traditions but they will follow our faith if we have faith in a real God and his presence is manifesting in our lives. David had that encounter. It's what Moses desired in Exodus chapter 33 when God said to him, I will not go forward with you guys anymore. I'll send my angel with you. And Moses says, no, your angel's not enough. You've got to come with us. And the Lord says, I'll send my presence with you. And then Moses asks the bold question. He says, I want to see your glory. Will you show me your glory? And the Lord reveals his glory to him. In Exodus 34, appears to Moses when Moses hidden in the cleft of the rock and his glory goes by. Moses saw a degree of the glory of God. And he came down from that mountaintop experience with his face all lit up. It was an encounter with the presence of God. It's what happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, when in Israel's history they had now built the temple. Solomon is the king of Israel. When they got everybody in that temple worship service and the trumpets and the cymbals were all engaged, people were singing out that song, for he is good, his mercy endures forever. It says, then at the house of the Lord, it was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon prays a Massive prayer, and it tells us in chapter 7 of Second Chronicles, verse 1, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So dense was the presence of God in this little place on earth that the priests could not even stand up to minister. Wow. That's the manifest presence of God. And then over to John chapter 14 in the New Testament, verse 21. This is is a promise that Jesus gives to all of us here in this room if we're followers of him. John 14, 21, this is what he says. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus is willing to manifest himself to the one who loves him, to the one who follows his commands, to the one who knows that he is our ultimate. He's everything to us. He will manifest himself to us. But you got to have desire for that. you got to say, God, I'm hungry for this. And so let's just take a little inventory here and let's talk about how am I managing my desire levels with God? You know, i got to tend to that area. It's kind of like a fire, right? When you build a fire with some logs and it's all bright and burning and it's, <clears throat> it's hot and all that, and then if you leave it alone for half an hour, it starts to go down. After an hour, it's going out, right? We have to tend to the fire of our own desires. We have to do our part in keeping that fire going. Book of Romans chapter 12 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep it, Right? You've got to fan it into flames sometimes so that that this fire of passion and desire for God doesn't go out. And I've had to to admit to God at times, there are moments, God, when I've not kept the fire and I need it started again. And the Holy Spirit in His kind and gentle ministry will always reignite that in the heart of the believer. How else can I live in the presence of God? I think uh, from this psalm we can say, it means that our whole body must be involved in worship. Take a look at verse 3. This is, this is beautiful stuff here. Because your loving kindness is better than life. That's a big statement. Out of all the things that I can enjoy in life, David is saying your loving kindness is better. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. And my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. I don't know if you caught this or not, but this is David laying out for us a pathway of worship that allows us to access and walk in the presence of God. And I would call it something like full life engagement worship. David's talking here about lips. He says, my lips shall praise you. Praise is a sacrifice. He talks about hands. He says, I will bless you while I live and I will lift up my hands in your name. Talks about a mouth. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. And This and a lot of other places in the Bible we could go to, uh, we see that God wants us to worship him holistically. Not just with our hearts, Not just with our minds and with our thoughts, but with our hands, our knees, our foreheads, our eyes, every single part of us. Let's just clarify a few things about worship. God alone is worthy of our worship. And we worship God, not the forms of worship, right? The forms of worship are the way we worship. And we don't worship that. We worship God. The forms are just an expression to take us into the presence of God. But the way we worship matters. How we worship matters. And the scriptures give us so much there to help us, so much. Uh, There's some different biblical words for worship in the Bible, words that mean the lifting up of your hands as an act of worship, Uh, the kneeling down in the presence of God as an act of worship, the shout of praise, the clapping, uh, the rejoicing, the weeping. There's all kinds of words to express whole life engagement in worship. In the New Testament, it's the word proskanao, and it means to kneel down. And I'm not just talking about figuratively. I'm talking about kneeling down before God in worship and lifting our face to him as an act of reverence. It's not a symbolic kneeling. It's a real kneeling. Proskaneo is one of the main words for worship in the New Testament. So worship involves our whole lives. It involves our, our, our mouths, our hands, our lips, our vocal cords, our knees, and our legs. If you want to live in the presence of God, let me make it practical now. You need whole life, full engagement worship happening. All of you worshiping God, not just part of you, not just the intellect, not just the emotions, but your physicality as well. Are you saying I have to put up my hands during singing? Uh, Are you saying I have to do that? Well, what if I look like those people that kind of wave their hands all the time? What will people think if I lift my hands up? Who cares? No one's watching. And the Bible makes it really clear that this issue, and I'm just going to zero in for a moment here. I can't solve everything here, but I want to highlight what's in the scriptures because we are a scripturally based church. And when we come across passages, we just, we preach them. And it happens to be that in this passage is talking about the lifting up of your hands in the presence of God. So, So what do we think about that? A, nice idea. It's okay if you're Hebrew. B, I know really fanatical people that do that, but that's not me. See, I don't have to do it. I don't want to do it. How do you process that? The Scriptures give us a lot here to look at. And I want to give you some possible guidelines here. First of all, no one has to do anything they don't want to do. We're not into coercing people. And we don't keep any records. We don't take attendance on hand raisers. Do you know what I mean? We actually don't, just so you know. We don't think like that. Um, but some point, sometimes people lift up their hands in worship because they're trying to, you know, show others, I'm, I see I'm really worshiping. And actually they're not. As soon as they're thinking that, they're not worshiping. They're just showing off. And they're actually not even showing off. We're like, ugh, right? If we can discern that, and sometimes we can't. Um, but also, I would say there's some people who go, I can't lift up my hands in worship. I've never done it. I'm not used to doing it in church, and I won't. That might be something called uh, an overattachment to tradition. It might be something that leads you to a place of less freedom. And so you end up going your whole life, well, I'm just not a hand-raising person. Well, guess what? You can change. It's possible. Or are you saying I have to lift my hands up every time we sing? I didn't say that. Just bear, bear with me here. Just stay with me. Uh, you might say, well, isn't this a cultural thing? You know, It's okay if you're Hebrew to kind of do stuff like that. Well, it's not just a Hebrew thing. See, it's also a Greek thing. And it's a Roman thing, and it's an early church thing, and it's a history thing. Throughout the history of the church of Jesus, there were people in any culture who lifted up their hands to God. 1 Timothy 2.28, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. So if we're afraid to lift up our hands, we might be controlled by fear. If you think people are faking it when they lift up their hands, you just have to step out of that place of judgment. Let God be the discerner of our hearts. I would say this, when you lift up your hands, it doesn't make you a super saint. It's just part of the whole life expression of worship. And as the New Testament teaches, let everything be done decently and in order. Amen. But motives matter. How I worship is one thing, but why I worship is another thing. And God is going after our hearts in all this. And there's a legalism to avoid. I mean, if we want to make it a big deal, we can say everybody's going to lift up their hand in worship at some point. We'll define that. What is the lifting? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it two? Is it one? Is it every song? Is it only in the high praise Psalms? Is it in the lament time? Like, how? No, that's just legalism. We don't even want to go there. And so there are times in my life I don't lift up my hands in worship. I'm communing with God in a different way. And there's other times I'm expressing. God, this is a sacrifice of praise. I don't even know if I can take another moment. I need your help. I'm just lifting up my hands, not because I'm happy, because I'm desperate. You know what I mean? And I lift up my hands at at times when I'm filled with joy and appreciating God and all that he's done for me. It's tied to our hearts and our desires for God. And no one is keeping score. No one. So I don't want to get weird about this, but I do want to say, if you cannot lift up your hands in worship, you might want to look at that. And we don't want to become robotic and kind of insincere and all that, but we want to be holistic people. I think there's something that, that, that is broken over us. There's a freedom that we gain when we do step into that, and we allow our, our bodies to express God, God the worship that we have for him, and we do it sincerely with a full heart. I think there's something that happens for us. And when we enter into worship with our whole selves, God is glorified. David says this, my soul will be satisfied with marrow and fatness. He's talking about the the, the affections of his soul, uh, being satiated by God's presence. And it raises the issue here, I think, of of where we get our ultimate affection. And all the things that we get to do, which are so fun, like hiking and fishing and swimming and boating and, and film watching and reading books. For some of you, reading books, that's the highlight of the summer. And uh, walking in forests and all that, all that is great. Art and music and making money and literature and technology, those are all wonderful, awesome things. And as long as we enjoy them as a gift, they're in their rightful place. We, we, we thank God for them. We're, we're, we're saying, God, you're awesome. You know, you're out there on a, on a lake and you say, God, this is a beautiful spot and you enjoy being on the water. But it's when we try to give them more meaning than they should have that we end up being people who miss out on the presence of God. You can enjoy God while you are involved in these things. You can can worship God while you are participating in some of those activities. When you're canoeing, you can say, God, thank you for your presence, right? Your presence is like water, and I'm just paddling my way through your presence. You can say that and trust God for an encounter with him. You should try it when you're water skiing. Just do, you know, your water skiing. Just do one hand up to God. God, thank you for the water. Thank you for the lake. Try a two hand one when you're water skiing. See what happens. I don't know what's gonna happen. I hope you know what I'm getting at here. We're not a legalistic church. We will never be so. But I want to invite you to be holistic in your worship. If you need to kneel down, then kneel down. If you need to jump, then jump. If you need to lift your hands, lift your hands. If, if you sing, sing with heart, you know, heartiness behind it and, and express to God your worship holistically. The problem is many of us sometimes come to church and we're like, this is our worship experience. We're like, oh. see what's on my cell phone here. I'm going to Snapchat my foot. There we go. Send that out. Oh, i got a Facebook update. Just a minute here. <gasps> oh, time to go to the washroom. For some people, that's their worship kind of rhythm, right? And I think God is inviting us into his presence, so I want to encourage you to view that moment when you step into the gathered community. This is a moment when God promises to be with us in a special way, and he's inviting us to encounter him. If you want to live in the presence of God, you need to step into whole life Worship, fully engaged with our bodies, souls, and spirits. And I know that there's sometimes there's people here, and you know what? They're, they're not very expressive, but they're in the throne room of God. And so let's not go by outward appearances, because there are people who are communing with the Father, and they've got their eyes closed, and they're just standing there. And they're in deep intimacy with Jesus. But we need the freedom as well. The freedom to lift up our hands and open up our lips in the presence of the Lord. And then we also can live in the presence of God when we encounter Him during the night. Look at verse 6. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. The early Orthodox church said this was a morning psalm. And they would read it out in the morning as part of their liturgical flow for the day. Because they said David talks about seeking God early and being up in the middle of the night. And said, so this is a morning psalm. Well, maybe so. I think it's telling us that God wants to encounter us in the night seasons. Pastor Nathan spoke on this earlier this summer. Eugene Peterson, I remember, in one of his books said this, you know, when does the day begin according to the Bible? You think, well, it starts in the morning. No, in the scriptures, it starts in the evening. Genesis 1, there was evening and morning the first day. That's the rhythm. Evening and morning the first day. God wants to encounter us in our sleep, is what it's saying here. And sometimes that means maybe God will wake you up and he'll say, hey, hey, wake up, 2.30 in the morning. Yeah, wake up, I'm I'm ready to talk to you. That's happened to me many times. And sometimes you'll encounter God in dreams or just resting in his presence. One of our pastors has been getting up at 2.30 in the morning most days and setting his clock to get up and Lord said, I want you to go downstairs. You don't even stay upstairs. He goes and sits on the couch for an hour or more and prays and reads the Bible and journals most days. To encounter God in the night is something maybe new to us. And then lastly here, this is the important one I want to end with. If you want to live in the presence of God, you've got to make faith declarations part of your journey. And that's because it's in the Psalms. And in this one, in In verse number 9, David shifts the tone here. He ends the psalm by, in a sense, prophetically declaring some things over his life. He says, Those who seek my life to destroy it shall go down to the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. In other words, the unclean animals. We'll deal with them. You know what David's doing here? He's putting his problems in the hands of God. He's declaring something over his life. There's a shift in the tone of language at this point in what he's written. And it reminds us that if we're going to live in the presence of God, we, we need to do some declaration. We need to declare victories over things that get in the way of our lives. Amen. Problems that we have, challenges that are in our lives, things that have not gone well, things that are troubling us, they're there, they're real. We need to speak over our lives words that remind us that God is in control. And a declaration is the way to do it. Scriptures show us we can declare over our lives God's protection, God's presence, God's power, God's provision, and God's promises. All of those things we can step into legitimately and just proclaim over our lives. Psalm 89, verse 15. I love this portion. It says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness, for you are their glory and strength. There's something about declaring the presence of God and walking in the light of his presence that happens when we proclaim it. And it also involves living into our destinies. Did you notice this, that David ends the psalm by saying, but the king shall rejoice in God? Did you notice that? This is what it says in verse 11. The king shall rejoice in God. By the way, there's another king on the throne at this time. His name is Saul. Saul. But David is prophetically saying something over his life here. He's saying, I'm the real king. God has anointed me. And he's he's set me apart. And I know that I'm not recognized as a king, he's saying. But the real king will rejoice in God. David does a prophetic declaration over his own life. Is that allowed? Of course. And we should be doing that in tune with God in his word and his spirit leading us and declaring those things over our lives that God wants spoken over us. We're learning a lot about that in our church, about the importance of announcing what God is doing. David is saying, I'm really the king. And he was. He was anointed to be that king. I want to remind you about your identity here. I want to remind you that you are the people of God. You are the sons and daughters of the Most High. You are the royal priesthood, the holy nation. You're his family, and you can and should live in his presence all the time. It's what Jesus has made possible for us. Jesus made this possible for us, and the writer of Hebrews puts it this way, It says in chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Then over to chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Friends, Jesus has made it possible for you to live in the presence of God. Jesus went into the perfect tabernacle. Jesus, with the sacrifice of his own blood, went in and made atonement for all of us before the holy presence of God, taking the weight of our sins off of us, offering forgiveness, offering reconciliation so that we don't have to hold back anymore. We don't have to live in hesitation or or unsureness. We can step into the presence of God. We can have boldness to enter the throne room, it says. The throne room, for goodness sake. All of that because of what Jesus did. When he was baptized, the dove of the Spirit descended upon him, inaugurating a whole new era for humanity. The presence of God comes upon us now in our humanness because we follow Jesus. The veil in the temple was torn because the way into the most holy place was opened up through the death of Jesus. Spirit has been poured out. Just like in Acts 2, it continues to be poured out again and again and again and again so that we can encounter the presence of the living God. And I think you can say this over yourself. I have full access. Under an open heaven to the real manifest presence of God right now. I can access it by faith. It's real, it's something that Jesus has provided for us. And I think it means that we can see the glory in the presence of the Father, we can see His power at work in our lives. We don't have to live for a moment outside the presence. And I don't know about you, but I want to see the glory. I want to see the glory of God descend upon our city like smoke that's covered us lately. So that as we live here in this region, we're living under and in and with the mighty presence of the glory of our amazing God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm praying that this city will be filled with the presence of God. I'm praying that our church will see his power and his glory. And I'm saying yes to that in my heart. I want to lead you in a prayer. Let's just take a moment here and invite you to stand with me. Stand together. It's possible you're here today and you've never stepped into a real relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. I want to offer that moment to you right now. If your heart is telling you that you need to know Him, that you've, you've not yet believed in Him and fully trusted Him, I want to invite you to pray these words to Him and mean them. Lord Jesus, I need You. Come into my life. I believe You're the Son of God. You died on the cross for my real sins. Forgive me of them. Change me. I'm turning to You. I'm surrendering to you. I'm asking for your presence to be in my life. I commit my life to you right now. If you've done that, why don't you just thank him right now. Thank him that he's coming into your life right this moment. Say, God, thank you. Thank you for this new beginning that you're giving me. I want to speak to you who are believers already. And if you're at that moment in your life when God is saying to you, it's time to dial up on the area of desire, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord for the help that you will need, the grace that will activate your faith so that you can go to the next level. Ask Him for it right now. Say, God, I'm desiring you, and I need your spirit to inspire me again, to give me strength. Some of us just need to step into more of the deeper zone in worship. We need to worship God in our homes more. We need to worship God in our gatherings and with our families. And God is just calling us into a deeper level of worship. I want to encourage you to say yes to that. To take all the freedom that you need to express to God through your hands and your lips and your eyes and your knees. That he's everything to you. God, we pray that you would burn through our city like fire. Burn up all the chaff and pour out your presence here, God, so that people recognize it. So that people sense a shift in the atmosphere and they say, What's going on? What's happening in our town? What's happening on our acreages? What's happening in this region up the highway and all the roads that surround us? What are you doing Turn our attention to you. We seek your face for that right now. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. I pray that everyone that's here would be strengthened by you. I pray that our faith would be built up, and I pray that our hearts would be absolutely convinced that living in your presence is happening right now and it can continue all day long we don't have to step out of your presence not even for a moment you're going to claim it and walk in it all the time so lord i say yes to that bless your people as they follow you bless your people lord as they rest in you as they as they get refreshed this summer i pray for just an outpouring of rest and peace over this whole body Thank you for the good things you're doing, the things you're getting us ready for. We pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you soon. You're dismissed. And if you have a need in your life, come on up here and we'll pray for you.